We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks. Welcome to Legacy Season 2 of Rebels, Episode 10 or 11, depending on how you are counting. Legacy. I'm not going to lie. Even though there's some Jedi stuff here with the prophecy. It's tough to come off the last episode with, you know, the first major Jedi lightsaber display of Ahsoka back to Ezra's parents, which is a plot line that was annoying initially and continues to be annoying. I guess I'm being irrational because Luke Vader is so classic and, you know, I love Jan and Galen and Lyra Erso, but it, it, I, I'm just coming at this from a storyteller standpoint. And I, I don't think it was necessary to make his parents, you know, to string on the parents' story that they we, we just assumed they were dead, and Ezra keeps thinking they're alive, and it turns out that he was mostly a re- mostly right, the Lothcat here, that they were alive, but now they're dead, but they lived long enough to hear his message. We already buy that he is has bought him himself has bought into the rebellion in the rebel cause. I don't know why we need the parent Saba story. It just seems like overkill. And Ryder Azadi seems like a classic TV cartoon character. He sounds like a video game. I I never think Ryder's a bad guy, and that's part of why this doesn't work. And. Ezra is generally only whiny and acts like a child when it comes to his parents, and that makes sense and his connection to Lothal. But I feel like we're over it as watchers. And if you're not pushing the story forward, especially after we just got Ahsoka and the Inquisitors and, you know, Palpatine and Vader sending their forces to get babies that are Force-sensitive, and now they know about the base on Gorel. And we've pushed so many things forward, character-wise, narrative-wise, plot-wise, everything, with the last episode, and now we're going back to Ezra's parents, and then they end up just being dead. I guess this is a story for kids about accepting loss, and it is somewhat of a twist, I guess, that he he's right in a way that they lived much longer than everyone else, including the viewers assumed, but now they're actually dead. But that they heard his transmission is sad, but you don't know what to do with it. So I, I don't know. I, I can deal with it in the first season, and, and I'm glad they finally close it off here. And maybe this was a corrective in that they played the parents' angle so hard in the first season, and they felt like they needed some closure, and they wanted to try and make it interesting. And, you know, give a little bit of a teaching lesson to the kids. If that's what they were intending, I am totally on board. I just don't know what they were intending. It was written by Henry, or directed by Henry Gilroy, or both. He was behind so many of the Rebels episodes, and he's great. And as I've said, there's only five or six bad Rebels episodes at most. And I wouldn't even consider this one of the bad Rebels episodes. And it's important that they keep supporting Ezra's personal issues. I just think his personal issues in terms of being a Jedi and growing up to be an adult are much more interesting. But we still get the Inquisitors. 
and we you know we get them getting closer to tightening the noose on Gorel, but also them constantly monitoring to, monitoring Lothal and the rebels' connection to Lothal. So all that I get. So let me try and come into this with fresh eyes after bitching for three and a half or four minutes. Right, so we've confirmed that they're on Gorel. We know they are. Ezra said it, and they recorded it in the ID7 murder bot. Right, this is the respect thing. Yeah. So the question is, do you respect them in the way that you mean respect, or the way that Peter Dinklage respects the mutants in Days of Future Past and wanting to put them in camps and be a genocidal killer? We respect them so much, we want to take their powers and murder them all. Respect, you know? The way Hitler respected the Jews, right? Respect them so much that we really mean that we fear them and they have to go. Kalis is sort of... Un- Kalis? Cal- I always call him Kalis because Kalis is the favorite elf character, by the way, in my fantasy novels. Kalis does is on the border of the genocidal respect and the actual respect. And the Zeb episode coming later in this season, which I'm always talking about is one of my favorite, where Zeb accidentally turns Kalis to the good guys, it, it pays off, it, pushing him towards the real sense of respect. An old Jedi trick. Is he being serious? You have to open your mind to the truth as the fourth force presents it. Something good, something bad. Great delivery by Freddie Prinze. And that's what makes these these episodes work. Is as long as I'm getting Kanan and Ezra stuff, bonding, you know, father son, brother brother, Jedi stuff, you know, with Hera, making sure everyone's, you know, being responsible. I'm in. I just. I'm excited for more to be inherent in, in Zeb episodes at this point. And I'm really excited for the next episode, which is Princess Leia. So here we go. So this is an old Jedi trick. He's using his Jedi powers on the computer. So he's basically Neo in the Matrix. Whatever. I mean, Filoni openly talks about an ape's Lord of the Rings, which is great because I love Lord of the Rings and you should be with Lord, with Star Wars. But there's tons of Matrix influence on Star Wars movies and television. That was a cool shot of Ryder from the barrel of the sniper gun and the Lothcat, and we know the Lothcats become more, more and more important as it goes along. Maybe this is bringing the link back to Lothal. They've been in space. The base is on Gorel, and we know Lothal becomes you know increasingly important again for logistical and tactical reasons. But. I guess this is sort of like the uh, Gal Travis episode with Brent Spiner playing the traitorous Imperial posing as a pro-rebel senator that Ezra believes in and has a prophecy about, and they follow him even though they shouldn't, and they should be more suspicious. Here's Lothal. Right, they left Lothal's orbit. Yeah. Yep. They usually leave a planet when they're blowing it up. <laughs> Like we see that, you know, when you see, we know the Death Star is going to hit Jeddah with the Death Star in Rogue One, but when you see the Star Destroyer leave the surface of the planet and all the, all the ships move away, you're like, uh-oh, here it comes. The delinquents. Usually that includes Ezra, but it's definitely Chopper and Zeb. So, you know, Galtravis, they had to follow Ezra's vision. Hera wanted to believe, and it was a lesson to them. And in the end, she doesn't give him our time. She goes, Ezra goes, are we crazy? We keep trusting the wrong people. She goes, no, we have hope that things will get better, and they will. You know, which I use at the beginning of all these episodes. 
That's a, that's actually a great episode, but it deals more with the, this too deals with the nature of prophecy. And like Galtravis, I will say, in mirroring the Galtravis episode, uh, this does also have the similar um, uh, influence of Ezra's partially true but also incomplete visions. He's right to be thinking that they were alive longer than they thought and that Lothal had something to do with it, but he's not able to sense that they're dead or doesn't want to accept it. I love Zara's Harris high pants. You know, do, 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 are Twi'leks supposed to have like really long legs? I don't know. It works great with her character design. Trying to stun the troopers. Right. Rebels can always kill tons of troopers except when they can't and they're missing, like horribly missing. Yeah. By the way, having the blaster and the blades seems cool, but without a, uh, a barrel, it, at least with a normal gun, the longer the barrel, the more accurate it is because you're, you're directing the course of the bullet. That's called rifling. You know, in all modern guns, actually the inside of the gun barrel is a, a spiral, uh, essentially. Up oh, here we go, the lightsaber, baby. Yep, hits everyone but Callus. He's going right at him. And spin move, boom, force push. Down, headshot. Sort of off screen. Yeah. They just leave Callus line line there. Oh, here come the Inquisitors. Hey, I'll take any Sarah Michelle Geller I can get, even as an e- e- evil alien Inquisitor. <laughs> She's so stunning. Also Jewish, by the way, Sarah Michelle Geller. You're welcome, America. We also have Princess Leia and Padme. So all this non-killing of the major bad guys, including Callus and the Inquisitors, really comes to a head. I was trying to get to the last episode, but was <laughs> cut off by Ahsoka's amazingness in her fighting, um, which is they're holding off, they're holding off. They keep trying not to kill the bad guys, as I'm always saying. You know, you should be in Lukewood. It is a kid's show. You know, they are trying to teach Ezra not to kill unless you really have to, but they keep coming after them. They'd probably save lives by just taking them out. But then Maul just murders them in the final episode, which I think teaches a lesson to Ezra. And that's why the beginning of season three works so great, where Kanan's blind and out of the picture, and Ezra's just killing bad guys, because, well, Kanan's not there, and he just watched Maul do it, and it's the most effective way to get rid of bad guys is to kill them. And so, you know, they are building towards that, and I, I respect it. Again, I'm not about just killing all bad guys no matter what, but if you're going to kill stormtroopers, then you got to at least capture or take out somewhat, if not kill, the, the major bad guys. And that's, of course, one of the great arcs in the early uh, of the modern Star Wars comics, 2015 and on, the early few, you know dozen or so issues of the mainline Star Wars comic, Princess Leia is expending tons of rebel lives and supplies weapons and forces trying to kill vader because of elderon and because she's right that he needs to go but it's just result forward attack on vader just resulted more and more death of their own people and han and luke have to be the one to tell her to pull back of course luke has to be the one to indirectly kill vader through suffering the emperor's torture and then of course vader dies killing the emperor Oh, 
Although it's an interesting question if Luke hadn't cut off Vader's hand and done him even more damage with the, his great TIE fighter action. You know, if he didn't cut off Vader's hand and really uh, uh, incapacitated him uh, before Vader picked up the, the Emperor with the lightning coming out of his fingers, who knows? Then they would have had to deal with Vader. It would have been much more complicated. That's why I think Kylo Ren has to die. Not because I want him to die. I, I do think he deserves to die. And it's safer from a practical standpoint if he dies. But from a narrative standpoint, it's going to be hard not to kill Kylo Ren. Because then what do you do with him? You treat him like a metahuman on the CW or in DC Comics and throw him in a plastic prison like Magneto and hope he doesn't escape? No. That's not happening. Right? Great Rebels music. Uh, the ghost looking beautiful as always with the four engines. Chopper's waving. <laughs> Chopper doesn't care. Got the A wings. It's great to see. It's always good to see Ahsoka fly the A wings. I mean, Tia Sircor, by his by her own admission, like Taylor Gray, we're not the biggest Star Wars fans before taking this role. But they sure sell it. Ezra with the Jedi stuff and just his overall character and Sabine being the tech weapons expert nerd that she is. And that's the thing. You hear what's so bizarre. And yes, this is because I saw a lot of Sabine before I really started looking at photos and like researching and listening to interviews and seeing on other properties. Tia Sarkar in real life. Gorgeous, as I will keep saying. Stunning and so cute that it makes you want to die. Forget how beautiful she is. She's so cute in real life. It really makes you want to just curl up and die from happiness and cuteness. But when I hear Tia Sarkar speak now, whether it's on TV or an interview or whatever, I hear Sabine, you know, which just shows how brilliant the voice performance is and, and, and the casting was, even though... On the surface, Sabine's personality is very different from Tia's, but the warm heart beneath the hard coldness of Sabine is totally informed by Tia and the reason they cast her. We stay with the fleet. Yep, that's Hera's mono. Gotta stay with the fleet. She's right. That's why she's Princess Leia. I mean, that's the thing. Leia's harder than Hera. As parts of it is obviously informed by Alderaan being destroyed, but also just the way she was raised so young in the rebellion, much younger than Hera. Um, and uh, you know, Leia wouldn't even think twice about abandoning Lothal for the greater cause. Hera has to be constantly weighing those needs with those of Kanan and Ezra in particular. And that's why it's important to bring in Sabine's story as well. And Sabine is usually the one telling them to get the fuck away from her own home world, as important as it is to the cause and to her. Oh, right. Yeah, this is important. I, I missed it. Fuck. He talked about how he was alone when Depopalaba, his master, was killed, saving him, but he was left alone. He's not going to leave Ezra alone. And look, they need his head in the game. This is exactly why Luke... They're okay with Luke going to Dagobah after the Hoth battle, and they're okay again with him going briefly, not knowing when he'll come back before the Battle of Endor. It's convenient that Yoda dies and he comes back in time for the Battle of Endor, but the bottom line is, if Luke's head isn't in the game, and they do deal with this again in the comics, the mainline Star Wars comics, except the difference is, 
those comments take place before Empire, and Leia is constantly pissed at Luke, even way more than Han, at constantly leaving to find Jedi stuff all over the galaxy, and he's constantly getting into problems because he thinks he can handle himself, and he gets stuck in these backwater planets where he gets taken advantage of and enslaved and put in gladiatorial arenas. Leia, as always, is right. But ultimately she learns that the rebellion isn't going to succeed without Luke fully powered and with his head fully in the game. But we don't get that until after the Hoth battle and especially after the beginning of Return of the Jedi. But right after A New Hope, Leia is not happy about Luke constantly leaving and he'll just leave. She'll, she'll order him to stay. The thing is, even Han listens to Leia's order as much as he puts up a front, you know, of being a scoundrel and I'm doing my own thing and I'm here for convenience and money and blah, 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 blah. Han generally follows orders. Now, it helps that Chewie obeys Leia. There's a very early comic where Leia gives an order to Han and Han doesn't want to obey, and so she appeals to Chewie until he looks at Han until he looks at Leia and immediately does what Leia does. I, I can't remember the exact story. I'll have to look it up. But it's clear from an early point that, that Chewie believes Leia, knows what's, what's up more than Han, and Han knows it too. And it probably angers him even more and makes him want to rebel against her even more that Chewie's following along. But he can't resist both Leia and Chewie. So she's constantly appealing to Chewie, and Chewie's constantly saving everyone, obviously. Carabast. I mean, Taylor Gray being the youngest, having the least experience by far, being the least familiar with Star Wars by far from the younger generation. I don't even know if he grew up on the prequels. He's so fucking young. Actually plays really well into the character because he's just playing the character. And, and Freddie Prinze is Kanan and, and Vanessa Marshall. Right. I was going to say, Vanessa Marshall and, and Freddie Prinze are giant Star Wars nerds, but they do a great job of playing into their characters and not just being like, oh, I should sound like a Star Wars character here. They go, no, I should sound like Hera. I should sound like Kanan. And that's what they should be doing. Taylor Gray doesn't have that hang up as much. Um, it's really fun to see Taylor Gray over the five episodes of the Star Wars RPG GM'd by, uh, DM'd by uh, Stan Winwood, I was talking about. He He's really sort of not into it. He doesn't understand what's going on early on. They never really understand what's going on, just like here. But he gets really enthusiastic about trying to get into it and get into his character. He probably needed the most directing, but as the youngest cast member and the main lead in a kid's show, I, that would have happened no matter what, even if he was a giant nerd. And just like a Matt Lanter, who wasn't a giant Star Wars guy, was cast as Anakin Skywalker by George Lucas in The Clone Wars, actually helps. And I talk about how sometimes with actors, it helps when they come in not super familiar, unless you're a super veteran like Prince or Marshall. There's a writer. Yeah, I guess we haven't met him yet. Yeah, this is the do we trust him, do we not episode. Ultimately, he becomes a major ally and joins them, I think. I mean, yeah, he does. I just don't remember what point it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do want to stress what I missed earlier about Kanan being here for Ezra. And if Ezra's distracted, then there's no point forcing him into whatever else is going on, especially at this relatively early point in their, not in the rebellion, but in their uh, engagement the rebellion. So that's my cat, not the Loth cat. This is going to get increasingly hard to separate because my cat sounds like a Loth cat when she, because she kind of chirps and peeps rather than a straight meow. Oh, she's walking right into the microphone. Hi, Cecing. That's my cat, not a Loth cat. 
but she's like she's crazy like a lost cat oh but i was gonna say earlier is uh, uh, freddie uh canyon was like you're following the lost cat or something and he's like i put a tracker on it but the bottom line is ezra does start to follow the lost cats and they do start leading towards wisdom which leads towards the wolf which leads towards ahsoka ultimately but we are not there yet but it's fun to tease it and think about this early on we know uh, Filoni loves cats, loves wolves, and, and that sort of stuff. And that feeds into the design of Ahsoka and the, the symbology of Ahsoka and her link with the Loth cats and the Loth wolves that we eventually see that are so beautiful in season four. Right. They said This is where we know that they heard the transmission, that they heard the transmission. Yeah, this is a crying... This is one of his... Oh, he's crying on Kanan's shoulder. How can you not love it? Yeah, this is... Ooh. This vocal work is very modern. This is like one of the... Even though it's choral and no lyrics... It's one of the more modern choral works you'll hear in a Star Wars property. Really, the only modern music we've heard in Star Wars is the funky Western stuff. Uh, he's, he has a vision of old Lothal looking like a shining city of ivory towers, reminiscent of the Dark Crystal. Another property I'm sure has influenced Filoni. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Crystal City. His parents, of course, super Middle Eastern, in case you weren't clear on the Aladdin connection. So he's definitely of Arabic stock, if they had such a thing, which I love. You know, it's funny. I listened back to my old Rebels commentaries. You know, I did seven, eight, nine, like a, almost a year ago. I should say the first seven or eight, nine episodes, almost a year ago. There's my cat again. Um, and I commented about how he reminded me of Aladdin. I honestly hadn't, at that point, d- delved deep enough. I didn't even watch the Clone Wars much at that point. Or, or you know, I didn't really gotten, like, now I've seen all the Dave Filoni interviews, all the Ashley Eckstein interviews at, like, Star Wars Celebration and Comic-Con and stuff, all the panels. All that, but I hadn't at that point. And so to hear Filoni talk about how it was a joke about him being, like, Aladdin with, like, the Aladdin hair and stuff like that was really super funny. Um, so, okay, well, I guess it leaves it on sort of a dangling participle, if you will. Um, wow. So, well, Princess of Lothal is next. Uh, then we've got Concord Dawn, which is the Sabine Mandalore episode, which will be great. Then Legends of the Sot with Zeb, which I'm so pumped for. And then The Call, which is all about space whales, which I fucking love that they did the whole thing about space whales. Then Homecoming, which is the Ryloth episode with Hera. So I talked about how there's two major Sabine episodes and two major Hera episodes. Well, we've had the sort of lower key character building ones with Hera and the B-Wing and then Sabine with um, with Ketsu, Gina Torres' character. But now we get the actual Homecoming episodes, literally and figuratively, of those two characters, which is great. But then we get the honorable ones, which is Zeb and Callus, which is an episode that I'm not going to have nearly enough time to talk about, and I probably love way more than most, um, followed by Shroud of Darkness. Uh, that's when they go back to the Jedi Temple, and that's, you know, all the Jedi Temple episodes are amazing, especially with Ahsoka, uh, the Forgotten Droid, 
uh, which is a very one of those episodes that really grows on you after a while uh, with the AP5 droid that's sort of annoying but has some really hilarious and super meta fourth wall breaking stuff Mystery of Chopper Base where they find their new planet which is the Bendu's planet and then Twilight of the Apprentice wow it's amazing that we're feeling like we're so close to the end of the season I guess technically we're a little over halfway but I'm really pumped and while this Princess Leia voice isn't as good as General Lil Voy, who reads the Bloodline novel, as older Leia, or the woman who says hope for two seconds in Rogue One, this, this young the woman who they get does a very, very good job uh, in channeling Princess Leia's attitude, even if she doesn't sound like Carrie Fisher, but it really sells because of the relationship that builds between her and Ezra over the course of the episode and as always he learns to respect her as a princess not because she is called princess he in fact initially you know looks da- not looks down on her but initially dismisses her as like oh just a princess but he ends up respecting her for all the reasons we love and respect carrie fisher and princess leia because of her actions over the course of that so i'm really pumped for princess little thal and the back half of these episodes thank you for joining me you've been awesome i've been the bizzle and may the force be with you and for now we are out out.